Welcome to another episode of Seeing Them Live, a podcast featuring memorable concert stories from live music fans. Everyone has a concert story, and hopefully, one day, we'll hear yours. Today, we're going to hear Doug's. So he's, he's there, and he's, he's kind of walking the stage, kind of towards the back of the stage, and you see him slip on whatever this stuff is, in this case, eggs, on there, and fall flat on his ass. Doug Florzak, as a way of introduction, Doug, I didn't quite know where to start. You're, you're kind of multifaceted here, so I'll start maybe going back a bit. You've published a couple of books. One is called The Successful Independent Consultant and How to Turn Your Career into a, a Successful Consulting Business. You also did a, a marketing book as well, and you've also published an album called Flagstone, and actually Doug's the producer of this podcast, and we use some of his music from Flagstone on the intro and the outro. And by day, I guess you're a systems analyst, I think is what it said on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. But anyway, I'll let, I'll let you maybe clear a few of those things up or if you'd like to add to them. So go ahead, Doug. Yeah, so my day job is I'm a systems analyst in an IT department for a major healthcare company. But my fun job is I'm a bass player for a local Chicago cover band called Wrought Iron Soul. So in addition to that, I also compose my own music. You mentioned the Flagstone, which is an album that came out earlier this year. It's kind of in, you know, it's all instrumentals. It's in the genre of chill music smooth jazz. It's hard to categorize, but it, it kind of falls into those departments. And I'm having fun helping you produce the show. So I'm looking forward to this interview. Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk about a few things here, Doug, but I guess what we could start off with is your experience seeing Queen. Was that 1977, perhaps? I think was at the yeah. Chicago Stadium, the old one. Correct. And yeah, just to kind of tell us, I, I think there was a weather issue. There was all sorts of interesting things going on there <laughs> for that concert. Yeah. So go ahead. I, I would say it was probably a concert where the most unique thing that I've seen happened. Most of the concerts I've gone to have been pretty standard and rudimentary. But this was on January 28th, 1977. I went with a couple of friends of mine. We were seniors in high school at the time. Went with my friend Lane and Art. And my friend Lane actually found a website called www.queenlive.ca that filled in some of my gaps on my memory for, for what happened. But there were some interesting conditions that occurred uh, prior to the to the concert and then something that happened once the show started. So in those days, we had our driver's licenses, but we didn't have our own cars. So we ended up borrowing our parents' cars whenever we needed to go to something like this. And our parents were pretty trustworthy with us on driving. My friend Lane looked up the weather on that day and... It just so happens that that month in 
1977 January was one of the coldest months on record. And so it was pretty cold that day when we went uh, to the concert. So we get there and there's a delay getting inside. And at the time I didn't know, but later on after consulting this Queen website, it turns out that due to bad weather, the equipment trucks didn't show up on time. And so there was a delay setting up the PA. So they hadn't even done their sound check or anything. And it turns out that Freddie Mercury is pretty particular about those kind of things. He didn't want to let anybody in until they did a sound check. So at some point, according to this article, I guess the manager for Thin Lizzy, by the way, was was the warm-up act. Okay. So another big band at the time. And I guess their manager convinced them to let everybody in because apparently they had to fly in extra equipment and everything because the original trucks with the equipment couldn't make it. But they got that all in place. We got in. We got seated. And so we're sitting in the balcony of the Chicago Stadium, which is the old Chicago Stadium at the time. If you can picture this, we're kind of in the balcony stage left. So we're mm-hmm. on kind of the side of the balcony, not the greatest seats in the world, but as mm-hmm. it turns out, they were good seats to see what, what happened later on. So we're kind of on the side of the stage in the balcony. And so the show starts out and everything's fine. And, you know, we're enjoying Freddie Mercury performing. And this, this, by the way, is pretty soon after Bohemian Rhapsody was released, which was kind of the big hit that kind of broke Mm -hmm. them out uh, into the pop scene. And so then I noticed, and my friends noticed, that they actually would sell seats behind the stage in the Chicago Stadium. So there were seats sold all the way around. So in the balcony behind the stage, which is probably like the worst seats you yeah. can imagine in some ways, unless you like seeing the backs of the heads of the performers, right. they had people sitting up there. So we're watching and we see these people throwing something out onto the stage. And at the time, I actually thought it was ice. I thought they either took ice from their drinks and threw it out there. And I don't remember if they, you know, sold drinks with ice on them or what, but right. I, I didn't know. That's what it looked <laughs> like to me. Or I thought because it, somehow I had this idea that because they were up on the balcony, that they could somehow maybe have exited out under the roof and grabbed some ice and made some ice balls or something. Right. I have no idea. Yeah. So we see them throwing things down there. And it's right where Brian May is playing. And... So it turns out later after consulting this article that it was actually eggs, which is even more fascinating in some ways. It's like, how did they get in there with eggs, raw eggs to throw down onto the stage? But anyway, so they threw these items out in the stage. And even though we were far away, Brian May, he's pretty easy to, to pick out because he had this big lion's mane of a permed hair do. <laughs> and so he's there and he's kind of walking the stage kind of towards the back of the stage. And you see him slip on whatever this stuff is, in this case, eggs, there and fall flat on his ass. Oh, my and goodness. And really hard, too. And so he gets up, and he angrily is pointing up into the balcony, presumably to indicate to the security to go and remove these people. Mm-hmm. 
And it turns out, based on this article, that he must have really hurt himself, you know, pretty bad. He fell on his tailbone. So they played for a little while longer, but then Freddie Mercury, once he realized what happened and the rest of the band realized, they stopped the concert and they left the stage. So mm. we're sitting there, the lights came back up. We're like, what happened? Or, you know, are we going to even have the rest of the show? I don't remember how long I, I talked to my friends. They seem to remember it being at least 15, 20 minutes. Uh, based on this article, it sounds like they were trying to decide what to do. So they did come back out and they restarted the concert. Freddie Mercury is quoted as saying, listen, you MFers, we don't have to play for you if we don't want to, but for the other 99% of you who want to see the show, we will continue. So with that, he... Uh, the show must go on. Yeah, with that, he <laughs> restarted the show and we saw the rest of the show and uh, everything else seemed to be okay. I mean, they were justifiably upset because I think when you know get to the point where you put something on stage that injures yeah. a performer, that's not a good thing. But this article that I consulted also pointed out that apparently the same people threw some lime wedges or lemon wedges or something mm, out on the stage okay. when Thin yeah. Lizzy was playing. Scott Gorham was the lead guitar player for Thin Lizzy. And uh, Gorham later made a joke, I guess, there's a guy somewhere in there with a whole salad bar just waiting for us. <laughs> we may not be getting paid much, but hell, we'll sure eat well. So he made a nice joke out of it. And of course, I'm yeah. sure Freddie Mercury was appalled. But that's the big story about yeah. the Queen. But yeah, that's... when you go to these things every now and then, something wild happens. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Because I'm just thinking like, okay, like how do you get through security at the front door with a dozen eggs or however many eggs, you know, <laughs> and then where do you keep them? And then why on earth would you bring them in the first place and then throw them at the band that you right. that you've paid good money to see? So, yeah, that's all. Yeah, that that they got tickets behind the stage. I I, I don't know, but it was it was pretty yeah pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think too, Doug, in preparation for this, you'd forward me that article. Uh, there's a link in there, I believe, to Rock Critic. Yeah, Chicago Tribune. Chicago Review. Tribune. Lynn Van. Matter, I guess, is her Matt name. Matt uh, guess, maybe. Yeah, M-A-T-R-E is part of her last name. I don't know. When I was reading that, she had talked about uh, some of the antics from the fans and throwing things, but I found her review not to be so much about the music, but maybe for her dislike of Freddie Mercury. I don't know. She says it's easy to confuse sophistication with pretension, and artifice and queen is big on that too she then closes out by saying for her money and lizzie which opened the show could blow queen away any day in a battle of the bands yeah, it I, kind of I reminded mean, me of like my dad's stronger than your dad yeah well you know, when first, you were a kid, first you know? of all I, first it was kind of an odd matchup i mean thin lizzie with queen even yeah. at that time, yeah. it, it, it kind of was a mismatch to begin with. But comparing the twos is like, is like comparing apples and oranges. It, it, they're completely yeah. different. <laughs> and you got to realize at this time, Queen was kind of known, but not really well known. They were kind of breaking out at this point, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. And apparently she made a lot of comments about his wardrobe. Because Freddie used to wear these leotard type things with real thin straps and 
she seemed kind of like having to grab her smelling salts because he was like letting the straps fall off his shoulders mm-hmm. or something. And then calling Pretty Murky pretentious is kind of, it's kind of <laughs> hilarious. I mean, it, it, it's like, duh, you know, that was his it, whole act. Right. So anyway, yeah, they, that article is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, in, in a lot of ways, the way, you know, the way she focused on those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but overall, a good show, I would imagine, all things considered. I was curious also on that Queen fan site, it said they opened with a Day at the Races overture. I was listening to that particular song and I was wondering if that was actually a recording. Do you remember if they actually were on stage playing that? I know how sometimes bands will open up with recording even of themselves as a way to enter the stage before they actually start playing. Do you, do you recall that at all? Or? I really don't. I don't remember. I don't seem to remember them just playing a recording. Okay. Anything. They yeah. seem to be, always want to be live. Okay. So I'm not sure. And these articles are referring to, I don't remember if they mentioned anything about that. I do remember that they were going to do more encores, but they cut it short. And mm. the Queen Live article seemed to indicate that it was because Brian May was still in some pain after falling on his ass yeah, on the stage, yeah, which I can yeah. imagine. If you hit your tailbone, you could have some bad damage, you know, and, right, and be in pain. Right. But other than that, I don't really remember the first song exactly what okay. they did. Okay. We'll hear more from our guests after a short break. Would you like to be a guest on Seeing Them Live? If you have a concert story you'd like to share on this podcast, please visit our website at seeingthemlive.com. Once you're there, click on Become a Guest in the main menu. Then fill out the form and click the Submit button. If you seem like a good fit for the show, we'll contact you via email. Everyone has a concert story. Let's hear yours. And now, back to the show. Well, yeah, let's move on to one of your favorite bands, or maybe the favorite band. I don't know if they're still up there today after all these years. The band Heart, which yes, I think you saw them even before Queen, and was it 1974? 76. 76, okay. yeah. At the Auditorium um, Theater in Chicago, I believe, right? Yeah, the, the earliest ticket stuff. And I try to keep all of my ticket stubs, although ironically, the Queen one I don't have. I, I don't know uh, what happened to that one. But cool. I tried to keep all of my ticket stubs, and I still have almost all of them. The earliest one I have is from, I think it was October 25th, 1976, at the Auditorium Theater when I saw Heart. And I believe that might have been the first real rock style concert that i ever saw Uh, we had pretty good seats actually because back then heart uh similar to to queen they were just kind of breaking out Mm -hmm. um i think dreamboat annie had just come out and of course being an adolescent kid i'm obsessed with a band that has two attractive women as the lead (laughs) singers so anyway yeah i went to see heart and they had what was his name mason dave mason dave mason yeah Yeah. dave mason was the warm-up Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things about the auditorium as opposed to the stadium 
one, it's a smaller venue, but it also, it's a venue that was designed for music, whereas the stadium was really designed for sports events. The stadium mm -hmm. is where the Bulls and the Blackhawks hockey team play and the Bulls uh, right. the basketball team. But yeah. the, the auditorium, which is well over 100 years old, was designed for music. So it's acoustically mm -hmm. perfect, really. Yeah. And so it's always nice to see a show at the auditorium and the um, design of the auditorium. It, it, it looks very much like an old classic theater where it's got a lot of the nice uh, Baroque style embellishments and everything. So it's always a, a joy to go see them play there. I would say, yeah, they're still my favorite band in some ways, but actually after that, I kind of got turned on and probably my current favorite overall band is the Smithereens. Okay. And I've seen them twice. Once actually to bring back a memory for you is when I saw them play in Brookfield. That's when I first met you. Yeah, I remember that it was with, like some uh, outdoor festival or something. With with the woman who's to become your wife. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was the first time I met you at uh, a festival in Brookfield and, and saw the Smithereens there. I saw them one other time when they played another festival. It was in the city. I don't remember exactly where. And I remember that particular time. We were outside, as you know, that's usually how these festivals go. And it started pouring rain, like one of these flash rain situations. And I remember my wife, at the I guess I kind of had to drag her to it to begin with. And, and she gave me a look like, really? Yeah. I don't want to be here. <laughs> and it's raining. Yes. And, and I remember that they had kind of like a, a canvas shade over the stage. And this thing was just filling up with water. Mm. You know, it's not like <laughs> yeah. there's like a trough that forms in there. Right, so they yeah. ended the show because you could tell the sound engineers are like, well, everybody's going to get electrocuted if we don't stop. Yeah, there's a small and, swimming pool forming over right, their heads right. here. So, so, yeah. so they stopped. The rain stopped. And so if I remember correctly, they had a guy come out with a pole that pushed this trough so that all the water would come out of the forward. It, it missed yeah. the stage. It was like kind of like out towards the front of the stage. So drain that all off, and then they continued the show. And so they came back out, and Denizio apologized. He said, yeah, but we didn't want to get effing electrocuted, so we, mm -hmm. <laughs> we had yeah, to stop, yeah. you know, Pat Denizio. And so that's, that's another interesting uh, memory that just occurred to me about them. But overall, I really liked the Smithereens because they came to my attention, came to everybody's attention, basically, when they did the music for the movie Say Anything. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's where they popped out in the early 80s, and I became quite a fan after that. Have, have you seen them recently? I know the lead singer has passed away, but I heard that Marshall Crenshaw occasionally will be the lead singer for the band. I, I don't know how often that happens or if they tour. Or yeah, what. they do, actually. Yeah, Pat Denizio, he passed away a few years ago, Yeah. and I was sorry to hear that, but... They did start touring again, and they were at Summerfest, which is up in Wisconsin near okay. Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to go, but unfortunately, on the day that they were playing, our band 
had a gig scheduled and I couldn't do it. So hopefully they'll keep doing that and I'll get to see them again soon if they continue touring like that. But I did hear that they have some guest singers occasionally that that are pretty well known. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, exciting to hear them do the material. Yeah. Maybe there's others. I just heard somebody reference Marshall Crenshaw, but yeah, maybe there's other people who assume that role. Yeah. I wanted to circle back just a minute to the heart concert and from what i understand you purchased a t-shirt at that show and you still have it and i was wondering if maybe you could share a few comments with us about the vintage heart t-shirt that you still have yeah it's probably one of my most prized possessions as far as concert paraphernalia i think that i probably got this at the first concert of theirs that i went to which was in 1976 at the auditorium theater and it's just a black t-shirt it's got their logo at the time in sort of like a silver glitter iron on on top of the t-shirt itself and i still have it i hardly ever wore it so it's in really good condition it actually still fits which is kind of a miracle unto itself (laughs) yes but uh, yeah i still have it i've been trying to find out if it has any value, but I'm really having a hard time finding anything like it on the internet. The closest thing I found was Etsy did sort of a a knockoff version of it that looks Mm. sort of like the one that was available at that time. But otherwise, I'm not really sure what it's worth. I haven't been able to find any information on it. Yeah, that's interesting. A friend of mine who was kind of into this stuff, he sold his Iron Maiden shirt from 1982 uh, to some guy in Vietnam somewhere for $800. It was in good shape. It looks like yours is in much better condition. I've seen the shirt you're talking about. I know they key in on things like holes, moth holes and rips and such. And his was in mint condition as well. But yours looks a lot better than his from a faded standpoint. But yeah, he said that the Iron Maiden shirts were commanding probably the most money, but I don't know. The heart stuff maybe wasn't even out there, especially from this vintage. You're talking another six, seven years earlier than what he was selling. So, yeah, maybe we could find out more information about that down the road. Yeah, I'm curious um, now what it might be worth, although it'd be hard for me to give it up. I've got a lot of memories tied up with it, and it'd be hard to give it up, but I wouldn't mind finding out what it would be worth. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. One other thing, I know you, aside from this shirt, you said earlier in the interview that you save all your concert stubs. I was wondering what made you do that. Were they always in like an album, or did you just have them displayed some other way, or were they tucked away in a drawer somewhere? <laughs> I know ultimately now they're in a binder kind of photographic kind of thing but yeah go ahead and if you want to comment on your ticket sure. collection yeah well i don't know why i got the idea to save them i think there's something about and this is something that that i miss nowadays because now everything's digital mm-hmm. but there was something about getting a physical ticket with the, um, the name of the band the date on there even the way that the usher would rip the ticket would give it some sort of character. And from a fairly early age, I had the idea that I wanted to save these things. And originally, I ended up saving them in an envelope. 
that you used to get when you'd go and wait in line and buy tickets at Flipside, which was a big ticket seller at the time, or Ticketmaster or whatever, you got actually a little envelope which was shaped or sized perfectly for a pair of tickets. And so Mm -hmm. I had one of those envelopes and I just kept jamming all my tickets in there. (laughs) And it got kind of thick after a while, but yeah, I just stuck it in my drawer. And eventually, much later in life, I'd say within the last five years or so, I thought to myself, well, there must be something better to store these in. So I went online and I, I don't remember where I got it, but um, they had a number of options for ticket albums. And I found one where uh, it's sized for a ticket on each page. I think you can fit three or four on each page hmm. and you just kind of slide them in under plastic. And uh, it's a pretty nice way to save your tickets and uh, go back and look at them uh, every now and then and bring up those memories. So that's the history of uh, my ticket pr- preservation uh, system. I see. Yes, I, I have mine uh, in a Ziploc bag by decade, I think it is. And uh, yeah, I probably should do something a little more kinder to these little tiny pieces of, of paper that are, some are like 40 years old now. So, but one approach to the end of the interview here, Doug, I'm always curious from a live music fan perspective, uh, musicians take on a concert i mean do you look at it differently do you key in on the instrument do you play or you just like everybody else you go see the band and that's kind of in the background or something well i didn't really touch a guitar until i was 20. so all those years i was pretty much just going and listening and enjoying the performance as is after i started playing and particularly since i took up bass um, I do end up keying in on those players, either the guitar mm-hmm. player or the bass player. And you do catch little mistakes. Most people wouldn't notice them. But for instance, speaking of heart, the last time I saw them was when they took down Meg's Field and they turned that into a park and they had concerts mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I went to see them there. This was, I think, in 2016. And I caught their bass player making a fairly minor mistake, but I did notice it. But on the reverse end, when I play, whenever I know there's a musician in the audience, particularly a bass player, I start getting a lot more nervous because (laughs) I I know they're going to catch every mistake that I make, you know, but the funny thing is you'll go up and you'll talk to them and maybe they were talking to somebody or they weren't listening at that particular moment. And they'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if they're being polite or, or they really didn't, but they seem sincere when they say, I didn't catch that. If you made a mistake there, I didn't see it. Because I feel obligated to go and apologize <laughs> when I make a mistake. You know, oh, man, I'm really sorry. That I was, I'm having a bad night. You know, I made a couple of mistakes. I'm sure you heard them. And they look at me sometimes like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then it's like, why did I out myself like that? But, <laughs> but anyway, these days I will key in on certain musicians. There's also, from the viewpoint of you want to know what kind of gear they have, how they're getting the sound they have how they're getting the tone they have. I mean, even down to trying to figure out what type of strings they're using, what kind of amp they have. All of those types of things are are really interesting to me as a musician that the average listener wouldn't really care about. I see. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I've never asked a musician that question. So there you have it. Anything else, Doug, that you would like to chat about before we wrap up? 
No, I think this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I ended up remembering a lot of things that I didn't remember before, and I, I'm glad to have been a guest on your show. Yeah, thanks, Doug, again. And when I look at some of my ticket stubs and then you start researching things, especially these fan sites, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. That, that's right. They, they did this, that, or the other thing. So, yeah, it's something I recommend people do, you know, pull out your old ticket stubs if you have them and, and take a look at them and, and maybe write some of these things down. That's a wrap for our show. I want to thank today's guests for sharing their concert stories with us. Make sure to check out our show notes at seeingthemlive.com for links to websites, photos, and other artifacts mentioned in the show. I also want to thank my producer, Doug Florzak. The theme music for the show was composed by Doug and is featured on his album, Flagstone. If you have a concert story you'd like to share on our podcast, please visit our website and click on Become a Guest in the main menu. Then fill out the form and click the Submit button. If you seem like a good fit for the show, we'll contact you via email. I guess it's time to head for the exits. We'll see you next time on Seeing Them Live.